Fishing Stories is brought to you by Rep Your Water. For those of you who don't know, we are the co-founders of Rep Your Water, a design-driven apparel company dedicated to providing high-quality gear for anglers everywhere. My current favorite piece in the line is our retro camo merino blend sun hoodie. It breathes incredibly well, blocks the sun on hot days, and is also a perfect base layer. And you drew the camo pattern yourself, which makes it even more unique. Ah, that's right. <laughs> I'm always going to pick our merino socks as my favorite. We have a nice variety of options for styles, and they are excellent for all seasons. Check out the full collection at www.repyourwater.com. I'm Garrison Doctor. And I'm Corinne Doctor. And this is Fishing Stories. And this week, we get to look back, think back on our trip early, early 2023 to Alphonse. Yes, the Seychelles, Outer Islands. Um, I've really been looking forward to recording this podcast. Yeah, I mean, we looked forward to that trip for a very long time. And now to get to like tell these stories again is pretty fun. Absolutely. Okay, Corinne, so set the stage for people a little bit. Where is Alphonse Island? So the Seychelles is the country. And if you listen to season one of this podcast our very first guest who even talked about the Seychelles was Alec Gerbeck who used to be the head guide for Alphonse Fishing Company on Alphonse he does a really good job of giving some history of the Seychelles and where they are but it's a group of like 220 islands and atolls if I'm not mistaken north of Madagascar the main island is called Mahe and it's sort of the business center of the Seychelles right we're in the Indian Ocean here yep Yep. And then Alphonse is just an hour-long flight away from Mahe. But Mahe is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Yeah. yeah. And Mahe is one of the Granatics, as they call them. So it's an island that has, like, actually some rock outcroppings and, like, mountainous interior pieces. Um, all of the places where we fished, Alphonse being what we're going to talk about today are true atolls where there's no, you know, mountainous interior. It's a receding seamount with a ring reef kind of. Well, you say receding, but there's actually, they are growing the beaches at Alphonse through conservation work and um, other projects. I don't have all the details, but the, That's awesome. the Alphonse conservation group that works directly with Alphonse Fishing Company has been releasing these maps of how they're regaining land. So it's actually kind of a cool story. That's, That's on Alphonse really cool. specifically. That's really cool. The one thing I would say to people about the Seychelles that I did not really have a feel for before we were really researching this trip is I kind of picture them being like a tight little group of islands all together. And they're very spread out. Yeah. So you mentioned Alphonse is like a, what, 45-minute hour flight from yeah. Mahe. And then um, we'll talk in our next episode about a stove atoll where we went next. And it, that's a much farther flight even from there. So it's a, it's a very spread out group of islands. And they all have their own character. They're all very different in terms of the layout and the reef systems, etc. Yeah. And other than the fishing, just painting a picture of Alphonse specifically. We're talking white sand beaches, palm trees. The Seychelles themselves are known for the largest nut, which is called the Coco de Mer. 
the yes. coconut of the sea. Yes. And it is a giant coconut. And Recommend it, you look up the graphic. Very entertaining. Just Google it for your own <laughs> visual experience. They really play into the look of the Coco de Mer. Um, but palm trees, white sand beaches, and then the actual resort that is where Alphonse Fishing Company is housed is a resort for anybody who wants to go that has the means to go, we should say, to a place like this. It's just a gorgeous resort. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, you have your own private beachside cabana. You're outfitted with a cruiser bike to cruise around the island because there's no vehicles. So but you, you have to dodge the giant tortoises. You have to dodge the giant tortoises. Very true. Um, but you have your own little private cabana. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the food the main lodge sitting room and lounge, the dining room, the beachside bar, the dinner service in your own private cabana beachside in the evenings. The level of service. The people who work there love taking good care of their guests. It's some of the best hospitality I've ever experienced. That's what I was going to say is like, absolutely the place is phenomenal and absolutely like the rooms and the places and the decor and the food are very well done, like really beautifully done. But what makes it amazing is the level of service and how knowledgeable and friendly and down to earth and incredible the staff is. Yeah, every evening you go for sundowners, which is the equivalent of happy hour for any American listeners. And <laughs> immediately someone asks you how your day was, asks for the fishing report, wants to know who you went with, where'd you go? They take such good care of their guests and i i'm used to these lodges that we get to go to where people take good care of you but i was kind of amazed at how many different people at the alphonse resort knew what you had been up to that day it was pretty cool yeah definitely so we'll talk about the fishing because that's what we're here for but if you're lucky enough or have the means to try to do a trip to alphonse it's an incredible place for somebody to go whether you do any fishing or not. So just keep that in mind. Exactly. Yeah. You can do scuba, snorkeling, stand-up paddle boarding, or if you go with a group and some people don't like to fish, right. there's plenty for them to do. Right. We, of course, fished hard. We did. <laughs> and we fished every day. So we looked at the pool. Yeah, we never even dipped a toe in the it pool. It looked amazing <laughs> it really did. well we weren't we did enjoy the bar quite a bit we did we enjoyed the bar and we were not expecting to fish like our first afternoon when right. we got there but it just so happened that the guide there was a guide who only did a half day that morning right. he thought he was going to be out with the same client that afternoon he wasn't so we got like this bonus afternoon which was pretty fun yeah it's pretty amazing so the fishing setup on alphonse the main area that you fish is actually St. Francois Atoll, which is a very short skiff ride across a little channel. Um, and St. Francois does have a little piece, you know, an island that's above ground, but it's very small. There's no structures on it. I mean, it's tiny. It's like your typical little scrap of white sand with a palm tree, but it has a massive reef in infrastructure and all of these internal fingers that cut across a massive internal lagoon the outer reef. So it's such a versatile place to fish because regardless of what the tide is doing, there's something to do. There's always a really cool reef walk or a really cool place to drift with the skiff and throw at big coral heads or something. Yeah. 
we and we got to experience a lot of different types of habitat there's a ton of beautiful turtle grass that has you know little triggers hiding in it and all kinds of fun things that we got to go check out the fingers and then the you know just the white sands where you're just straining your eyes to see the shadow of a bonefish so we got to see a lot of different stuff we popped poppers out in the middle of nowhere um in the deep stuff so saint francois and alphonse we also fished alphonse yeah i was gonna say alphonse itself is a great fishery and there's yeah. a you know a reef and lagoon around alphonse it's not as much interior reef as on saint francois so the way they structure the fishing is like the majority of people are over on saint francois the majority of days but also a fantastic fishery yeah but in three and a half days i don't think we left one type of habitat unexplored right yeah amazing well as i recall you got us on the board first on that afternoon with kind of a, a squirrely situation yeah, I mean, so we had a big, dark GT on the flat, and it was big enough that its back was kind of out of the water, which was sort of terrifying. It's You kind of look at it, and when you've never seen it before, like we hadn't until then, it's like, what is that? It's yeah. so weird. It doesn't seem like a fish, and also anytime you fish somewhere new and i'm sure people who fish a lot and are listening to this they know that it's like you have to get your eyes used to what you're looking for yeah. and we weren't used to looking for gts much less expect 30 percent of their body to be out of the water right and when they get that big they get really wide like really wide <laughs> this is a cool looking fish so of course i was thrilled to take a shot at this thing and it kind of faded down. Its back was back in the water. I put a cast in. Everything seemed good. Came tight. Like strip set was ripping. And it was a nice size bluefin trevally that had stolen the fly, of course. And they are famous. We've been told this. Now we know through experience. Yes. But they are famous for stealing the fly from whatever you're targeting. If it's a GT and they're in kind of in a pack together right. or trigger fish or whatever. Right. But that was the best bluefin trevally we saw. Yeah, it was pretty big. I mean, I, I forget what it was, 63, 64 centimeters or something, but uh, enough to like really put a bend in the rod. And then of course, dumped over this coral ledge and was immediately a problem for breaking, uh, you know, line, leader, anything else. So it was kind of a squirrely situation in the skiff. And then... Uh, our guide, you know, we're landing this thing now in kind of a deeper channel. Uh, and our guide was like, you know, bring, bring him over to me, like get his head up, you know? And I'm like, okay, it's a bluefin trevally. I mean, it's not massive, you know, I'm on a 12 weight. Um, so I'm going to like lift his head up to the guide, you know? And so I like lifted the rod, which put the bend further up higher in the rod right i've been very good about fighting it low down in the rod and then broke my 12 weight. yeah yeah you know you're fishing depends i mean depends on what you're doing but any a lot of time we were fishing straight 130 pound and at that point we definitely were yeah we're fishing straight 130 pound as our quote-unquote leader so the amount of pressure these fish can put um, you have to be very cognizant of how you handle your rod. Yeah. Especially in that sort of like squirrely end of 
fight around this gift situation. Yeah, right. When you think you've kind of got it made, it's yeah. like, and right. you stop paying attention. You, right. It happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, not all the time or else we'd be bankrupt with all the rob repairs, but. Right. Well, I did torch through a few, but. Yeah, the Garrison Tornado took a few rods <laughs> out, as per usual. Yeah, it is funny, though. It's like, you know, the, I'm pretty good about switching on the saltwater angler in me, right? And like rod tips down, good strip set, fighting it low. But then things like that where you're like, oh, bring his head up. And what do I, what do, I do? Right? Like raise the rod. Sort up. of treat it like a trout going into the net. Oops. Yeah. Oopsie. Yeah. Um, but you got us on the board with our first actual GT. Yeah. So we had one day after the bonus half day that the big monsoon rains came in. That was a tough fishing day. We got into some bonefish, but most We actually got some really nice yeah, bonefish. Yeah, we caught a lot of great bonefish that day. And poor Alex was like, Thanks for bringing the bad weather, guys. Yeah, Alex was our guy. <laughs> he was struggling. Yeah, so that was uh, a tough afternoon just because of the pouring rain. Um, so we didn't have great opportunity for GTs. We did see a couple on rays. Right. They were the least well-behaving GTs that anyone's ever seen. Yeah, it's very strange. They were not switched on for no, whatever reason, which care. is really weird for a fish on a ray, especially now having seen a lot of fish on rays that were charged up yeah i do not quite understand what's going on that day yeah in retrospect that was a that was a weird fish so that was not meant to be our first gt for the group but the next day we were out and we came across these like huge coral bombies so imagine huge heads of coral what would you say like 12 feet across to 15 feet across yeah, each at least one. Like 12 to 25. Yeah. Of. So varying sizes and then they're spaced pretty far apart in pretty like deep water. 50 feet apart in water that's deep enough that when a fish drops off of those things, you can't see it. It's gone. You can still pull through it. So, you know, the guide is up on the platform pulling on a very long, pull. on a very <laughs> long pull. Right. I use the term you can pull loosely. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Reese can pull. Correct. <laughs> but we were going through these kind of channels between the bombies looking for fish, but also popping the big popper to see if somebody would come over to the dinner bell. That part didn't work out, but we were cruising along. And from the platform, Reese, our guide that day, saw a huge shoal of GTs following a big ray. And so some it was of them, multiple rays even, I yeah, think. So some of them are literally on the back of uh -huh. the ray. Some of them are behind and to the side. And, you know, the ray is, of course, scaring up a bunch of things that it's not actually eating. And so these GTs, you know, take advantage of the fact that there's a lot of scared bait fish and shrimp and all right. the rest kind of moving around and they hunt off of the back of the ray and this the ray and rays would come from the deep water back up on top of the coral bommie and with them came all the gts and some of them were like that first one we saw like back out of the water right you could see the fin you could see the tail right. and you were at first when we saw them yeah and i just never we never quite got in front of them. Yeah. And I was always trying to throw a long cast and it was just not quite there. And then they'd move off and they were gone. And it was like, 
a frustrating little game of whack-a-mole on these things. Yeah. And I couldn't quite get on. Like chasing them down, but always, I would say, like 40 feet out of your casting range. Yeah. And I mean, he was good about being like, okay, I think they're going to pop up over here. And, and a lot up. of times he was right, but we just couldn't quite get in front. But then you got up there. I got up there and we saw them again. And we just happened to be going in the correct direction where we were going to kind of pinch into the direction they were going. And I got a cast out at kind of the middle of the pack, which if I were a more skilled GT angler, maybe I would have picked out the one I wanted, you know, and tried to get the big dog to eat. But at this point it was like, let's get one on. Right. So I throw a cast out to the middle of the pack almost immediately go tight. Right. But it was a small GT. Yeah, it was little. Like very little. Like maybe 12 inches. Maybe. It was little. Was it that little? It was so little. I I don't think I ever saw it. And Reese, our guide, was like, quick, get that in, get that in. Because the fish were going to stay around. We wanted to get it in, get it off so that I could have another cast. Well, luckily in the listening to what he was saying, I kind of let some slack go. Yeah, because that's not the one we wanted. That was not the one we wanted. So I had a little slack in the line. It got off. I immediately threw back in. I channeled my like feeding frenzy of Golden Dorado knowledge. Throw it right back in there. And a nicer one ate and I kept it tight. And that was a strong fish. Really strong. And in that deeper water. Yeah, it had a lot of water to work with. There were coral bombies around, so it was kind of that, like, don't let him get right. too deep. And also, you don't want to fight a fish for that long, ideally, because there's also sharks around. You don't want this to get sharked. You don't want it to right. have another GT come over and, like, bite its face trying to get the bait, you know, that kind of thing. So it was like, fight it hard, fight it fast. And right. I landed it pretty quickly. Very quick, yeah. And it was we, a beautiful fish. Yeah, we counted that as a more respectable one. Yeah. So over there on Alphonse, they do not count a GT under 60 centimeters on their trip reports. So yeah. it's like anything that was over 60 centimeters, which isn't a, a big GT by any stretch, but it's enough to like. It pulls. Yeah. Like a, anything over 60, you're you're feeling it. Yeah, like it's a fun fight. Yeah. And so we, this one was 70. So it counted for the trip report. Right. It counted as my first GT, whereas that first little ding would, not, would have. not have counted. Definitely not. So it would have like gotten the practice yeah. maybe, but it was way more fun to have a nice, nice one. Definitely. Fishing Stories is brought to you by Lock & Co. Whiskey. Distilled right here in Colorado and finished with hand-cut, charred Colorado Aspenwood discs. This whiskey is as unique as any trout stream. It has now won gold three times in the San Francisco World Spirits competition. You'll want to grab a bottle for your bar at home or to take on your next adventure. Check it out at your local liquor store or at lockandcodedistilling.com. Lock is spelled with an E. Yeah, and then that set off a sort of minor mental meltdown for Garrison where... You know, Corinne had gotten it done on this GT, not a giant, but a beautiful, respectable GT. And I just wanted one. You know, we've come halfway around the world. This is a species that I've dreamt of for many, many, many years. I don't know when we're going to be able to come back. And I just wanted to get one. And the pressure started to sort of mount because 
the opportunities didn't line up and then some opportunities did line up and I just didn't quite execute and not in the sense of like missing a set or something, but what I've learned now and learned since is like these fish are so incredibly visual that, you know, when you see one on a flat, you have to put the fly a lot further away than you would think. Yeah. The water's really clear over there and they're so fast and they're so tuned in to visuals that if you like, okay, he's moving left to right. I'm going to lead him 15 feet and pull the fly away. No, too tight. No, it was like lead him 30 feet. Spooked him. Yeah. yeah. It was like, put it way over there, move it as fast as you can, let him find it. Yeah. And do not, I made this mistake after you caught that one. You think it's a bad cast? It's way too short. It's way to the left. It's way to the right, whatever. You fish it. Yeah, you that was a tragic moment. not pick it up. Because what happens is like you throw this cast and you're like, oh my God, that cast is terrible. It's garbage, right? It's nowhere close to the damn thing. And then you strip it in enough to like pull in, pull up to recast. And then all of a sudden he's on it. That fish was coming. This is a real world story. But <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And like all of a sudden these things, like they track so fast and from such a surprising distance, literally as I'm picking up the fly, this thing's trying to eat it, but it was too late. Like the wheels were in motion. Yeah. That was fish was late. waking over. It was, it was like a six inch difference. Yeah. From where I the mean, fish probably was. would not have gone great on the set at that point. No, but, but it I sure mean, would have been know. fun to find out. We could have been another rod down at right. that point. Oh, definitely. <laughs> rod tip up, set yeah. into like a heavy So fish. I made some I made some mistakes. <laughs> I learned some things. Um, but I did not get my first GT on Alphonse. We no. only had a few days. We only had three and a half days, one of which was super decimated by weather. Um, which is the game you play always with fishing, but definitely yes. in the middle of the ocean. Yes. Uh, but boy, did I enjoy it. And boy, would I like to go back and fish it again. And, you know, just on that note on GTs, I think it's worth telling people, you know, I, I knew that GTs pulled really hard. Mm -hmm. And they do. They are like tenacious fighters. But the thing that's so interesting about GTs is that Especially in this, you know, landscape of the Seychelles, when you hook one of these things, you have to stop it. It's not like most of the other large flat species that we target, whether it's a tarpon or bonefish, they don't get that big, but you know, big tarpon. I mean, what else have we got? That's really the main comparison, I would say. I mean, permit, permit, permit pull really hard. Mm -hmm. We've heard. <laughs> we don't know from experience. <laughs> We've heard. But anyway, most of these other fish, they don't go to structure. Structure is yeah. not a problem, right? In the Seychelles, you have structure around. There are... A bit of coral, a bit of reef wall. There are problems, right? And so when you hook a GT, it's not just that they pull really hard because a big part tarpon like pulls hard. They run. They jump. They might jump you off. They're not going full speed at a coral bombing. Right. And so to chafe your entire line off. Exactly. <laughs> so it makes it such a physical kind of um, personal battle. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, our guides 
were like, you do not set the hook, keep tension and clear line on this fish. No. You set the hook and you hold them. And if you can't hold them, they'll end up on the reel. But that's how they get on the reel is because you could not physically keep them from getting on the reel, right? It's not the situation where like, oh, great, he's running. I'm going to clear some line. No. No let him run on this Uh -uh. one. (laughs) They earn every inch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Well, speaking of strong fish. Yes. Our other surprise, other than our half day bonus day, was that we got to go out on the big boat into the blue water. Which was so fun. It was surprisingly fun. Like, I love big boats. You know, I love getting out in the water. There's going to be dolphins and all that stuff. I was kind of thinking, this will be a lovely scenic tour. I'm not so sure that I want to catch a sailfish. Like, that. I don't know if that's for me. I mean, I wanted to catch a sailfish. I was a little nervous. But my expectations were also pretty low. And, like... We did a blue water day off Y one time and we trolled around all day and we saw like a couple of mahi mahi and we didn't get to throw any flies at them and it was like really slow. We brought our fly rods and those guys kind of laughed at us. Right. I guess my expectation on blue water was pretty low, but to your point, I was excited to get out on the boat, go for a little cruise. It was just a half day. So we'll do it. We got to do it. And we started seeing fish pretty quick. Well, and what's cool, as described, this is an atoll in the middle of the ocean. And so you're in blue water in 20 minutes. I mean, that might be too long. That's too long. That's too long. (laughs) I mean, literally, I remember the first night we were there, I was sitting on the beach. We were having a cocktail. I had my binoculars out looking at the frigate birds and boobies and trying to identify some seabirds. And this giant tuna blew up under them. And like, you can see that from the beach. That's blue water. Even with the naked eye. Yeah. Yeah. That's blue water. And so, A, it was not a far run to get to the blue water. And like you said, we started seeing fish pretty immediately. So the setup is not a quote unquote purist situation. No, we're not chasing down like fish hunting bait balls that you're casting to. No. You're teasing up fish. Yeah. So there's the big splashy teasers way out on the. Right. Hookless teasers. Yeah. Hookless teasers, but they're way out on the like extended arms that I'm sure have a real name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those things. The those. outrigger out teaser yeah. rod doodles. And then there is also some stinky chum. Yeah. Out there as well. Well, we want to get them fired up. We want to get them fired yeah you know but they're so good i mean what happens is you see a sailfish bill or a sailfish flash that electric turquoise come in on a teaser and then these things get hot well they start trying to kill the teaser with their bill so it's like yeah they start like (laughs) slashing at it yeah and then the first mate starts pulling in the teasers kind of slowly Right. To like bring the fish closer. Then you cast out your giant popper. It's not that slow. I mean, they kind of pull them in. Yeah, but it's not like he's ripping them out of there so that they're not there anymore. The point is to bring it in closer. Right, because they have no fear of the boat. No. No. So, I mean, the the sailfish that I caught, you know, we saw them coming up on the teasers, pulled the teasers in, cut the motors, 
And this thing was literally just sitting like tooling around under the prop wash under the boat. And I threw big blue water tube popper out. Um, and this thing just crushed like it going away. One chug, second oh chug, my. bang. It was like the easiest blue water hook set in the <laughs> world because it ate going away. So oh, it was yeah. just like right in the corner of the mouth, hang on. And then that first run on a sailfish. It's insane. It's insane. They are the fastest fish in the ocean, yep. supposedly. They sure feel fast. Definitely. And they look fast. I was up in the crow's nest with the captain. That's right. Captain Matt. Yeah. And watching that fish go from like literally just cruising under the motor, like, where did that bait go? Right. You know, you could kind of see it like doing yep. circles. And then the second your popper hit the water, zoom, off he went. Going. Smashed it. And then yep. it was a fly line plus 150 that yards. That fly line away. is gone so fast. It it's was shocking. Amazing. And we, I mean, we had the the Siegler reels going. I mean, that was a good tool for that blue water stuff. Having mm-hmm. a really good smooth, you know, that's a lever drag, but like a really good smooth drag was great on those things. But just an incredible fight. They're out there jumping. Yeah. It's really fun. I would say it's almost more fun to watch. <laughs> you're sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you're not the one struggling. It is a lot of work. It's the most work I've ever done. My sailfish, I had, I caught a wahoo. I was going to say, the first fish we caught was your wahoo. Yeah, and now that I've seen both, I can see how they can tell which is which. But, you know, immediately our guys start yelling, wahoo, wahoo. And it's just because it's kind of a splashy little like after the... And they don't hang around as much. No, so, so you've got to yeah, move. That's like a you see it, you get the fly out, and yeah. you start working that fly because they don't just hang around the boat like no. the sailfish will. And that wahoo ate pretty well. What a gorgeous fish! And it was a big fish. But I had always I'm still heard... so jealous of that fish. <laughs> I know, but I had heard wahoo jump, and I kept waiting for this thing to jump. It never did. It never jumped. But it did really make me work for it because it stayed super deep. So I had a lot of water that I had to pull it through, but we That's landed true. it pretty quick. There were no sharks around, released it safely. It went on its merry way. Yeah. Then you caught your sailfish, which yep. was And then we decided, crazy. okay, if it's a Wahoo, I'm up. Yep. If it's a sailfish, you're up. Yep. I did have a really big Wahoo take a swing at my popper. It ate sort of on the exact wrong moment. Yeah, it just popper. didn't get a fucking yeah. hook in its face. Yeah, it, it was like, infuriating. It like, swung at it. And it's it. such a big toothy mouth. You're yeah. like, Wait, what? How did you mess this up? You're faster than that. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Annoying. So we're going to blame the Wahoo for that yeah. one. But your sailfish was cool because we saw sailfish on the teaser. Here he is. He's going. Okay, we're pulling the teasers in. Do, 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 okay, do. get we're the all, fly in the water. Yep, we're all we're watching ready. that fish you threw out. And I was looking like beyond, you know, like behind the boat, chugging my fly, waiting. Because you can see they're flashing as they come through the water. You can kind of see them you were looking at where that fish was. Yeah. So I'm like, here we go. And then all of a sudden, a fish came from the bow of the boat, just smashed my fly again, going away. Different fish that none of us saw. Yeah. And a bigger fish. Very big fish for sure and it burned the shit out of my it finger it was such a great eat because you're like 
waiting for that one to turn and eat. And then all of a sudden that thing just cranked and you're like, oh God. The good news is I was ready for a hook set, obviously, because I, that was the worst line burn I've ever had in my life. You set the hook whether you wanted to or not. Yeah. And then sure enough, that fish was a country mile away. I was like the in full panic that I did not have enough backing. I'm like, I'm <laughs> looking at your backing. It's fine. But like the way the secret reel is set up is one side has like a deeper, yes, you know, deeper set for the backing and the other side is narrower and I could only see the narrow side. And so it looked to me like I had six wraps left right when really there was quite a lot quite on a, the other side quite a but i think it was what 25 minutes i was fighting that fish yeah. and it was the hardest i worked in my life we almost lost you yeah i had to request that i got water poured on my back yeah. water poured in my mouth afterwards to be fair we were all asking what you needed well, no, I'm not saying that you weren't helping me. Okay. I'm just saying these are the things that I needed. For sure. For sure. It was a battle. Yeah. It was hard to watch. It's one of those ones where you're like, I wish I could help, but you're on your you're own You're on here. your own for this. Good luck. I mean, I had the adrenaline shakes and the exhausted muscle shakes so bad after yeah. that. Yeah. And it was really cool too, because there weren't any sharks around. The water's really clear. So, you know, they're very conscientious of how they handle catch and release sailfish there, which is yep. really good. So we kept the fish in the water. We were able to jump in with the fish and take a few, you know, photos of us in the water with them and then send them home. And it's a neat, I don't know, it's a neat release to be in the water and send that fish back. Yeah. Hold it one hand on the bill, one hand on the sail. Yeah. And then just hold the tail and yeah. dive down and kind of watch and swim away. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That was, that was an experience we did not know we were going to get to have. And it was pretty amazing. It was. I mean, we saw triggers at Alphonse too on the, on the flats. We didn't um, catch triggers. We didn't catch triggers, but we had some good shots. We did not see permit at Alphonse, but we also weren't really look i mean it's not that we weren't looking we weren't trying to target them yeah there are specific spots correct that and we were on the gt mission and picking up some bonefish and looking for some triggers in between but we were looking for gt yeah we wanted to get that yeah. box ticked but what an incredible place um yeah. i mean we cannot wait to go back it's so it's so beautiful the fishing was so good the people the other anglers that were there were really fun to hear their stories because they're, of course, doing different things um, than we were. And so just knowing the potential of yeah. getting to fish that And place. just to be immersed in a marine ecosystem that is that healthy and intact and protected and the sea turtles. And I mean, you're fishing for GTs, yes, but then, I mean, you get all kinds of crazy things that climb on a fly if you start oh, yeah. casting at stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, here come the honeycomb groupers and the tomato groupers yeah. and the, what are the yellow lift thing? Yellow lift, yeah, the emperors, yeah. which quite surprisingly hard. Yeah, bad news. I never caught a yellow lift emperor. Oh my God, I really stroked the yellow lift I know, emperors. you were really I in did the bycatch. hook a GT off of a finger at Alphonse on my eight or nine weight with like a shrimp fly oh yeah remember this then we got into the saw big groupers. wake and it was on i was on 20 pound and yeah. that was sort of the end of that 
but it was the only rod I had at the time, which was also a mistake. Yeah. But you do what you can. It you was it worth a swing. It's more fun to cast at something than not. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, so after this like three and a half power days of, you know, intro to fly fishing the Seychelles, um, we had a full group coming in to meet us. So we had four friends, four guys coming in to meet us. Yep, our hosted group. They basically pick us up at Alphonse and we all got back on the plane and off we went to Asto for a full week. So the full normal week-long fishing program at Astov. Yeah. So tune in next week. We'll tell some tales. And there are some stories from Astov. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See you then. Cheers. Cheers.